Um, this week, uh, we are bouncing out of our church, and we have a guest in town. It just so happened that he was going to be up here on vacation with his family. And, um, and so we've got A.J. Swoboda with us. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with A.J., A.J. Um, was a pastor in Portland, Oregon, planted a church and pastored a church called Theophilus for 10 years in Portland, Oregon. And just recently, like in the last year, eight months, um, stepped down from his position there at the church in order to become a professor full-time at a seminary. And so um, he's an author and a teacher, and we are really, really privileged to have you here today, AJ. So if you guys would just give him a nice Coeur d'Alene welcome this morning. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, grace and peace. Good morning. How are you this morning? Are you well? Awesome. So I, I've lived in Portland the last 10 years, and I thought Portland had the best coffee. And then I had coffee here this morning, and Coeur d'Alene blew my mind. The Lord loves this city, doesn't he? My goodness. What a joy to be with you. Uh, to the, to the Lord, thank you for your rich hospitality and kindness to allow uh, me to be here. My wife, Quinn, I think is in the room somewhere. I don't know where she is. She's not um, here, <laughs> but I'm sure she's around. I want to give a shout out too. Right back here is Trevor Gavin. The reason I'm here is uh, uh, for 10 years, I served in Portland as a pastor, and Trevor was planting a church at the same time. Uh, you've been a big part of supporting the work that Trevor's been doing, and Trevor became one of my best friends while we were in Portland. And they just moved here. And here's the deal. Incredible human beings. And you need to utilize them and use them in every way possible because God is all over their life. And also, Trevor gave me my iPad like a year ago. So I just want to say to the Gavins, thanks for letting us stay at your house and be here as well. That's why I'm here, um, aside from my love for Jesus. Um, yeah. Uh, what I'd like to do this morning is I've been given a freedom to share on what I want to share on, and what I'm going to do this morning is, frankly, I'm going to talk about um, something that for me is probably the most important topic when it comes to being a Christian. Uh, what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about uh, what it means to rest and rest really well, and this is a perfect conversation, obviously, to have uh, in the summertime uh, as we all are kind of in this maybe new rhythm of, of maybe life isn't as busy as it normally is. Maybe it is busy. I don't know, but I know this. Uh, I want to I talk this morning about what Scripture has to say about what it means to rest uh, in the presence of God. And specifically, I want to talk about how we rest, um, actually schedule rest in our life. I, th I think this is a critical thing. Before I begin, and I'm going to read from the Scriptures in a few minutes here, uh, I want to pray a prayer, and I want to do kind of a funny prayer this morning. Um, when you look at the story of Jesus, uh, when you look at the way Jesus uh, did ministry in the Gospels, um, if you look at all the days of the week, Monday through Sunday, or rather you look at every, every day mentioned in the Gospels, it's really interesting to me that Jesus cast out more demons and did more healings on the Sabbath day than any other day. Um, I've been, for the last five or six years, four or five years, uh, traveling the world and talking about this idea of rest, and here's the weirdest thing I've experienced. I have never experienced a topic that causes more demonic and spiritual darkness to come out than talking about rest. It's super weird. It's like when we talk about rest, the forces of evil like fight against us. So I actually want to begin with just a little spiritual warfare. Is that all right? Okay. 
Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this morning as we begin our time together and we open Scripture and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, together in this awesome Boys and Girls Club, we say Jesus is Lord. And to any forces of darkness or evil that want to distract, pull our hearts away, our minds away from what you have to say, in the name of Jesus, we cast those things out. We say to the forces of darkness, in the name of Jesus, be gone. We stand against principalities and powers in the powerful name of Jesus. And we cry out, Lord of the Sabbath, would you come speak to us today? Come and teach us what it means to rest in the Spirit of God. For moms in this room who are exhausted and really need to hear this, be with them today. For dads in this room that are exhausted, be with them. For kids in this room, for teenagers whose minds are exhausted from spending 24 hours a day on their phones. For grandparents that are learning how to use their phones. For everybody in this room who finds themselves exhausted. Lord of the Sabbath, would you come near today? Speak to us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good. In, in a few minutes, I want to read from uh, the Ten Commandments. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 20. But before we, uh, before we get to the text uh, that we're going to read this morning, I, I want to tell you a story. Uh, a couple years ago, this was, this was maybe four years ago, I was invited to go uh, to a church in uh, uh, Virginia. I was invited uh, to a, a church right in the heart of Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, many of you will remember Virginia, uh, uh, Virginia Tech University, which is in Blacksburg, uh, was the site of one of the worst shootings in American history. It was, I think, something like 35 students on the campus of Virginia Tech were, were, uh, were murdered on a, on a horrible, uh, uh, one of the worst days uh, on campus uh, any, anywhere. Um, I was invited to come to this church that was um, uh, very near to Virginia Tech. In fact, this particular church was a, a big part of uh, the shooting. A number of the people who had been involved with the shooting were part of this church. They invited me to come out and talk about this idea of rest, this, this idea of, of Sabbath rest. So I came and, and did this uh, talk on the Sabbath. In the evening, after uh, giving this talk on the Sabbath, one of the elders invited me uh, to go to a barbecue at his house. And that evening, we were sitting around uh, this campfire in his backyard, and he was telling me his story. He was, for 30 years, he was in the Navy. So this guy was a, a, a kind of a, a career Navy guy. And he was telling me about this phenomenon, this, this very weird sort of uh, military f uh, fact. And here's the weird the, the thing he was telling me. He was saying that when you look at Vietnam and World War II, these two horrible wars, right? When you take these two wars and you compare them, there's a lot of similarities between these two wars. Uh, they were both absolutely horrible wars. They were both very uh, you know, massive casualties on both sides. I mean, both were horrible wars. But he said one of, the thing, one of the things that was totally different between these two wars was the veterans. He said when you look at the veterans from Vietnam and World War II and you compare them when they came back, um, it was a very different story for both sets of, of vets. Uh, when World War II came back, of course, 
when the war uh, against Germany, uh, against the Axis powers, uh, finally finished, um, when the men came back from that war, it was, it was as though our culture was uh, euphoric, right? We had defeated evil. Hitler had been killed. The Third Reich had been dismantled. Uh, it was, our culture was so happy. Uh, the, in fact, we were so happy as a culture that when the men came back, we have a whole generation of people named after the happiness. They're called baby boomers, right? So the men came back and just, they all just had a bunch of babies, they were very happy. And so when the men came back, kind of euphoric, right? We had defeated evil. Uh, the Third Reich had been dismantled. Um, when you look at the vets from World War II, very low PTSD rates. Of course, they didn't diagnose them in the same way. Um, very low suicide rates. Spousal abuse plummeted. Uh, drug abuse plummeted. Our culture was like just almost at, at this, was almost high with excitement. But when you compare that to Vietnam, it was a very different story, wasn't it? Um, by the way, my grandparents uh, all fought, three, my three grandfathers fought in World War II, and all, all three of them uh, told me at some point about this experience of just the excitement of coming back. Uh, my grandfather, Rudy, was a CB. He built um, these huge strips on islands so that uh, the, uh, the planes could land. Uh, my grandfather, Frank, this is fascinating, my grandpa, Frank, was an airplane pilot who was literally the guy, he never saw combat, but he was the guy who flew Himmler, Adolf Hitler's right-hand guy, to the Nuremberg trials. Right. My other grandpa, Grandpa Tex, was a basketball player in the week of Pearl Harbor, uh, was drafted by the Chicago Bulls to play in the NBA, and had to make the decision whether he was going to fight in the war or give up his dream, and he gave up his dream to fight in the war. And when all of them came back, our culture was just euphoric. Now, you compare that to Vietnam, and it's a very different story. When Vietnam ended, right, the men came back, and it was a completely different story. Super high suicide rates, one of the worst suicide epidemics in military history. High PTSD rates, uh, uh, spousal abuse, one of the worst heroin epidemics in our culture's history. And none of the men from Vietnam wanted to have kids. You have nobody, it was the, the plummeting, you know, rates of, of birth, birth rates. You compare these two stories, and you go, what's the difference between these two? And so I'm sitting in the backyard with, with my new friend at, at, and barbecuing, and he says, do you want to hear like what we think? And I said, yeah, like what's the difference between these two, stories, these two wars? They said, here's the difference. There was one thing that was super different between both wars. In Vietnam, when the war ended, the men literally went from fighting in the jungles against the Viet Cong to within two days, they would fly home and be back in their living rooms. Now, can you imagine going from being, fighting the Viet Cong in the jungles uh, of, of Vietnam, and then all of a sudden, in two days, you're back at home holding your baby. Can you imagine that? He said, in two days, they flew home, and they were back in their living rooms. But when you look at World War II, it's a very different story, wasn't it? And all three of my grandparents, this was their experience. You didn't get on planes and fly home when the war was over, did you? What happened? You got on boats and sat in the middle of the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean for like two months. It took forever to get home. And my friend says... What do you do when you sit in the middle of the Pacific Ocean after having fought in a war, the Atlantic Ocean, for two months? What do you do? You cry, right? You grieve. You process. You tell your story. You have space to just stop and think about what you just happened, what just happened. And my friend in his backyard at Virginia Tech says, the Vietnam vets, the deal was they were never, ever, ever given a chance to process what they went through. I tell that story because truth be told, friends, if I'm candid this morning, 
That to me is like a metaphor for our entire culture right now. We have like no space. We have no room, right? Just to stop and just cry and weep and process. I mean, it is, we are constantly on the go. Honestly, is there anybody in this room that's on Facebook and Twitter and, and you're not depressed? Yeah, nobody raised their hands, right? You, you know this experience, right? You read about this tragedy on Twitter and then you're like, oh, that's horrible. And then another one and then another one. Like we never have time to just stop and process. We don't have time to stop and cry. We don't have time to stop and think. We don't have time to stop and do anything. We just go from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. I mean, the truth is when you look at our culture, right? The idea of rest is completely gone now. It used to be, some of you will know this, it used to actually be that we had laws, literal laws, like in America, we had laws that everything would shut down on Sundays. Did you know this? The young people are like, that happened? It happened. Literally, like you would shut, they were called blue laws. Everything would shut down on Sunday. You'd go to church in the morning on Sunday. There was no McDonald's open on, on Sundays. There were no like Chick-fil-A's open. There was no In-N-Out open. There was no bank open, right? You'd go to church on Sunday morning. You'd go home. You're, you'd have lunch. Your, old people remember this. You, you'd, your parents would take a nap, right? And they'd always like lock the door. And you're like, why are my parents locking their door? It doesn't make any sense. And you'd be at home like all day long and it was super boring. It was like Little House on the Prairie or something. Like it was just super weird. But there would be a whole day and you would stop. And we don't have anything like that anymore. Do you know 7-Eleven? Do you know where that comes? Do you know why 7-Eleven became so big? It's because of the word seven. 7-Eleven was famous because they were the first one that went from being open six days a week to seven days a week, 11 hours a day. We, are, we, are, we used to be a culture that stopped a day a week, but we don't do it anymore, do we? We don't rest. We don't stop. There's this incredible writer. Uh, she's a, an agnostic Jew by the name of Judith Shulovitz, and she wrote this book on the Sabbath, and she says, isn't it interesting that America, which was founded by Europeans to start a Sabbath society, right, that people who came here came to start a world that had rest in it. She says, isn't it ironic that the one country that was started with the dream of the Sabbath has become the country most hostile to rest? I'm 38 years old, and honestly, in my 38 years of life, there's one day that I can look back on that looks anything like a society at rest. It was on September 11, 2001, when the planes flew into those towers in, in New York City, into a field in Pennsylvania, and into, and, and into the, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and everything stopped. We all went home. We stopped working. Planes stopped flying. Everyone went home and called the people they loved. The irony now is that it requires tragedy for us to rest. In fact, I, I have this super dark theory I want to write a book about someday. You know how we're obsessed with zombie apocalypse right now? Like obsessed I would think Idahoans, like, you're in good hands because you've got lots of places to run to here. But um, <laughs> zombie apocalypse, I actually think, here's my theory, I actually think subconsciously, it's not even conscious, subconsciously we want a zombie apocalypse to happen because we want the system to melt down because we know it's not working for us. And the irony is now we actually yearn for tragedy because it gives us a break. 
I've lived in Portland the last 10 years. I love Portland. I love how much justice Portland does. I love how committed the city of Portland is to doing right and justice, even though it doesn't want God, but it wants to do justice. But I've observed even with young people in Portland, right? When you live in a city that's all about justice, they're all exhausted. Here's why. Because it's exhausting not being sure what stuff you're supposed to be outraged about this week. It's exhausting. Like, am I supposed to be mad about that now or happy? I can't, who am I supposed to find that out from? Like, what channel do I have to watch to find out what I'm supposed to be outraged about? We're exhausted. How many of you, if you're honest this morning, at your core of cores, you are absolutely exhausted? Okay. And even the people that can't raise their hands are too tired to raise their hands. All right. My gut tells me that most of us are absolutely exhausted. Friends, suicide rates among teenagers right now is skyrocketing. And I'm gonna, make a, I'm gonna take a stab. I, I wanna actually argue this morning. This is a life or death situation. I wanna argue this morning that we are exhausted because we have completely forgotten one thing that God asked us never to forget. And that is that God invited us before we were even made. God invited us to learn how to stop and just be with God. Exodus chapter 20, which is the text I want to read this morning. This is um, such an important text for anybody that wants to follow Jesus. uh, Largely because Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments, uh, gives us a little snapshot into the heart of God. Uh, this, these, these Ten Commandments are the f- kind of ethical framework for covenant people, right? If you want to live with God, you want to know God, like these Ten Commandments really matter. And I'd be curious, how many of you this morning would say like, yeah, the Ten Commandments are kind of a big deal? Anybody want to say that? Good. I would hope you're all raising your hands. Um, the Ten Commandments are a big deal, right? The story of the Ten Commandments is Moses has come down the mountain, and he, this is just after the Passover experience. They've just been brought out of Egypt. Moses goes up on the mountain, comes back down, and he brings these Ten Commandments with him. And what what we see here is we see that God is revealing his heart to his people. This is one of those times that God's self-revelation, God is making himself known to the people that he's just saved. Which, by the way, it's very important uh, for me that we understand that Egypt, they were freed from Egypt first. Redemption came first. They were saved first. And then God gave them the commands. That's really important. It's important because some of you have inverted that. And you think that as long as we do the commands, then God will save me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is never do the right things and then God loves you. The commandments follow the love of God, which is why, friends, it, the, the commands of God will never make sense without the love of God. They never can. So Moses comes down and he brings these 10 commandments. And, and you know, I'm going to just review these and then I'll read the fourth commandment. The first commandment, you know this, is you shall have no other gods before me. God is saying, don't worship anybody else. Don't worship any other God. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. Worship me alone. Commandment two, uh, don't make anything that looks like God. Don't worship anything that even looks like God. Um, I'm, th- th- this one's a, a hard one for me. I'm a theologian. I'm an academic trained theologian. You know what's crazy? It is possible to worship theology. It is possible to worship words about God rather than worship God. Did you know that? 
It is possible to worship ideas about God rather than worshiping God. He says, don't make anything into an idol. Don't worship anything that even looks like God. Only worship God. The third commandment, don't misuse God's name. God's name is holy. It's good. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath one, we'll come back to that in just a second. Commandment five, honor your father and your mother. This, by the way, literally the fifth commandment is a forgotten commandment among millennials and Gen Zers. Um, because we have generations of people, in, in my classroom I see this time and again, generations of young people that have no framework for honoring their parents and disagreeing with them at the same time. Honoring, by the way, doesn't mean you always agree with your parents, but it does mean that you listen to them and you're generous to them and kind to them. Honor your parents, your mother and your father. Commandment six, do not murder. And by the way, I love that those two commandments are always next to each other. Um, it's as if God is saying, so, so the idea is honor your parents, and the concrete reality is if you want to do that, like don't murder them. Like that's the, the appropriate sort of fleshing out of that concept. Honor them, don't kill them. They're kind of hand in hand. Uh, commandment seven, don't commit adultery. Commandment eight, don't steal. Commandment nine, don't lie. Don't give false testimony. Again, commandment 10, don't be jealous. Don't give yourself to covetousness. Don't want all of your neighbor's stuff. So you go through these commandments, and I, of course, skipped over the, the fourth one. Let's read this together. And this is, I, I hope, available for you to see. This is the fourth commandment, right? This is God speaking about his heart to the world, to his covenant people. Commandment four, listen to this. God says, remember the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals nor the aliens within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them. But God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Can I, by the way, as we read this, can I just point out, number one, do you, don't you love that the Sabbath has to do not just with you, but with animals too? Like the land? If, do you have a, any of you have pets? Do, have you ever thought about the theological implications of Sabbath for your dog? Right? For your koi fish? Have you ever wondered, what does this mean for them? Um, I, I, what I think is powerful about this idea is I think Sabbath is for the entire planet. It's not just for human beings. Can I point out, too, that it says it's for the alien within your gates? And the point of that is this. The beauty of the Sabbath is it's not just for the insider. It's for everybody. The Jews were interesting. You know who loved going to war with Jews in the ancient world? The Jews are always at war, by the way. They're constantly being attacked. Do you know who loved going to war with the Jews? Everybody. You want to know why? Because in ancient history, the Jews were the only people who refused to fight one day a week. They would even give their enemies a day off in war. The Sabbath is not just for you, it's for everyone else. It's for everyone. It's not just for the privileged, it's not just for the rich, it's for everyone, it's for the whole planet. And can I point this out? I, I think that this is fascinating. You look at the Ten Commandments. This is the only commandment that begins with the word remember. <laughs> 
It's like God knew what he was talking about. That of these 10, this is like the one that we would be most likely to forget. And friends, the truth of the matter is that that is, (laughs) okay, so let me tell you this story. This is the, I want to tell you a story. This is one of the darkest epiphanies I've ever had as a pastor. Um, it happened a number of years ago, but this was the reason that I got into the Sabbath. This is, this is one of the reasons that made me so hungry for this stuff. Um, so 10 years ago, we planted this church in Portland. Uh, church planting is really, really hard work. There's no such thing as emotionally healthy church planting. It's horrible. It's painful. It's difficult. Anybody in this room that's ever planted a church right now is crying because they know how hard it is. Church planting is hard work. Ten years ago when we planted this church in Portland, I had no idea how hard it would be. And after five years, our church got really tired. Naturally, it's hard work. Planting a church is really hard. And so uh, I did, I noticed that our church was really tired. So I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going I'm to do a sermon series. I want to do a sermon series on rest, on biblical Sabbath. Because uh, that's what pastors do when there's a problem in the church. We do a sermon series. So... Um, I did this sermon series, and I was like, I'm going to talk about the Sabbath, and we're going to talk about it for three weeks. So I laid out my sermon series. I had three weeks of Sabbath. I was going to talk about the Sabbath. I was going to teach on the Sabbath. How do we do this? Because our church is tired. And so we did three weeks on the Sabbath. And I should tell you, okay, I, I feel like I'm in comfortable territory to tell you this. I have preached on a lot of things that have made a lot of people upset, okay? Um, I've lived in Portland the last 10 years. I pr- I've preached on sexuality. And listen, friends, when you talk about biblical visions of sexuality in a place like Portland, it doesn't make friends for you very quickly. Uh, I, preached, uh, I preached once a sermon on marijuana because uh, I live in Portland. Someone's got to talk about this stuff, and it didn't work out very well. It was, it was really difficult. Um, I preached on polyamory. I preached on politics. The, I remember the sermon that I preached after Trump won the election. I, listen, my point is, okay, <laughs> I've preached on things that have really upset people, and I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath, three weeks, and I don't think we ever had more people leave the church. It shocked me. And what I found, this is what I discovered, when you talk about Sabbath and rest, it steps and violates every single idol we worship as Americans. It violates our ideas about affluence and power and success and productivity and, and busyness. It violates all of those sensibilities. So when I preached on the Sabbath, like, people were mad. There were two groups, interestingly enough, there were two groups of people that were really mad at me. Moms and business owners. First time in history, those two groups of people have unified in their protest against a preacher. <laughs> Moms were mad because how do you talk about rest when you're holding a one-year-old child? How can I care for this child and ever rest? And business owners, because they knew that if we actually had to do this stuff, it would affect the, 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 the literal, the bottom line of their business. And so all these people were upset. And so naturally, the elders wanted to meet with me. That's what happens. You do a sermon series, the elders want to meet with you. So I, was, I remember this day, this was the epiphany. I was standing, I was in, I was meeting with our elders and we were talking about the Sabbath thing that we were doing. And the elders, we were talking about the Ten Commandments and I had this epiphany. It was the darkest epiphany I've ever experienced. It ruined my life. It dawned on me 
that if as a pastor, I broke nine of these commandments, if I stole money from the church, I'd probably lose my job. Uh, If I committed adultery, I'd probably lose my job. If I murdered somebody, I would definitely lose my job. It dawned on me that if I broke nine of these commandments, I'd probably lose my job. But if as a pastor, I don't take a day of rest, I'll probably get a raise. And it was the very first time I saw in my life that this is literally the one commandment we celebrate people breaking. And I guess my question is, when did we think we knew better than God? When did we think we knew what God, when did we think that God meant nine of these, but one of them was just bad if you get around to it. Because friends, we don't believe in the 10 commandments. We believe in nine commandments and one strong suggestion. And the truth of the matter is, I wanna ask this morning, friends, I think, I think we are dying inside because we have forgotten the one thing God said, don't ever forget. Remember this. Remember it. By the way, I should say, I actually think we're better at following Christian cliche than we are the Bible. The number of times I've heard a well-intentioned preacher, pastor, leader, Christian say the phrase, I don't need to rest because the devil never rests. To, to what I would say, I would say like, that's literally why he's the devil. <laughs> like the guy's just exhausted. Give him a day off and he's like, I worship you, Jesus. He's tired. And actually, that's really good theology. You think I'm being funny there. Do you remember that story where Jesus uh, cast the demons out of the woman and, the, and Jesus says that the, the demons are, are fleeing out of this woman, and he says that the demons run through arid places looking for a place to rest. Friends, the irony of the Bible is God knows how to rest, but the demons don't. Or we say things like this. We say, I don't need to rest because I'll rest when I get to heaven. To which I would say, no, you'll just get there faster. Right? And at what point, by the way, on the demon one, were we like, hey, let's find, as Christians, let's figure out what the devil's doing today and do that. Because, friends, that's not discipleship. Never have we been like, let's figure out what Satan's doing and follow his patterns. No, friends, we follow Jesus' patterns. We follow the kingdom of God. We follow what God does. We follow what Jesus does. We don't follow what the, devil, the, the demons do. We follow what Jesus did. The irony, friends, is that when God created the world, God knows how to rest a day a week. By the way, when you go back to the creation story, this idea of Sabbath is completely interwoven through the entire Bible. When you go to the very beginning of the Bible, for example, when God created Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the middle of the Garden of Eden. 
When you read that story, do you notice that God says, on the, he says, I made you guys on day six. You're made on day six, and day seven is a day of rest. When God made Adam and Eve, and he said, I want you to take a day of rest, you've got to set that creation story in the context of all the other religions. Because the truth is, the creation story in the Bible is not the only creation story in the ancient world. All these other religions had creation stories too. The Akkadians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Phoenicians, they all had creation stories too. When you compare the creation story in all the other religions to the creation story in the Bible, it is fascinating to see the differences between the creation stories. For example, there are three of them. Number one, the creation story in the Bible is the only one, it is the only one in the ancient world where women were made in the image of God. It is the only one. Friends, from page one on, God says about women that they are exactly what God wanted them to be. You look at all the other religions. Women were a mistake. They were errors. They were problems. They were issues. You look at Genesis 1 and 2. There is no religion in the world that is as pro-women as the Bible. So much so, by the way, that when Jesus resurrects from the grave... It is the dude disciples who are in a room terrified while the women go and see he's risen and they go back and, and say the Easter message for the very first time. Friends, we wouldn't know Easter if it weren't for the ladies. The dudes would still be in the room, terrified. I've lived, again, friends, I live in one of the most progressive states in the world, but friends, when you look at this book, anybody, any of my friends who would look at this book and say this book is anti-women, friends, you haven't read the book. From page one on, God looks at women and he says, you were made in the image of God. Second thing, the creation story in the Bible is the only one in which God says everything he makes is good. And he can't get through a day without creating stuff, without patting himself on the back. He's like, that's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome. I made all of it, it's all awesome, everything is awesome. When you're part of God's team, right? It's like, it's so great, because everything God makes is good, right? The creation story in the Bible from page one says that everything God has made is good. Sex is good. It's made for marriage, but it's, it's good. Mangoes. You ever had a mango? Just like, and it just drips on it. It's so good. You can't be an atheist and eat a mango. The invisible qualities of God have been made known in mangoes. Everything God makes is good. And the third thing, when you take the creation story in the Bible from all the other religions, the creation story in the Bible is the only one in which God gives people a day of rest. He says, I don't need you to work seven days a week. I want you to stop, breathe, be with me. I mean, we should be dancing in the aisles right now, friends. We literally worship the God who invented the weekend. Not bad. This idea, friends, oh my goodness, this is so good. Adam and Eve were made on day six. 
Day seven was the day of rest. Have any of you ever thought about the fact that Adam and Eve's first day of existence was a day of rest? Why? Because that, my friends, is the first image of the gospel in the Bible. The way God works is he never says, get your work done and then rest in me. It is that God says, you rest first and out of rest you work. Friends, that is the gospel. Any of you that think that God wants you to work and get your stuff done before he loves you, if I go to Anthem and I tithe and I serve in the children's ministry and stop looking at porn and stop cussing and then God will love me, friends, that is not the gospel. That is not good news. That is fake good news. Fake good news says get the stuff done and then you're loved. The good news says before you do a lick of work, Jesus Christ is enamored with you. You are loved first. That's the heart of God. Adam and Eve walked around for a whole day having done nothing to earn it. They hadn't worked, they hadn't done nothing, they were made, and God said, it's your first day. Hey, let's take a walk in the garden while you enjoy everything I've done, because you've done nothing. And that's what rest is. Rest is not getting what you deserve after you've worked. Friends, rest is what you do before you do a lick of work. You do it first. My son, who's awesome, seven years old, when he, you know what he did for nine months in my wife's womb? You know what he did for nine months? He didn't work. He just sat there and enjoyed the warmth of a womb. He's been out for seven years now. You know what he's been doing for seven years? He has not been working. He has been playing Legos and eating food for seven years. And Friends, I gotta tell you, I just love the, the way the world, the way God made the world is that we start the world with Legos and good food. Theologically speaking, to end the life of an unborn child is to end the rest of one of God's children at rest. Because God has instituted a world in which we begin with rest. Friends, this is in the creation story. It's in the law. Moses brings this down to God. I, by the way, I love the image of Moses going up on the mountain and coming back down. And when Moses comes back down, you all remember what happened, right? He comes back down the mountain and all the God's people are worshiping the golden calf, which by the way, is literally why pastors don't take sabbaticals. Is we are terrified if we leave, right? We're gonna come back, everybody's gonna be idolaters. That terrifies us. But you want to know the real fear? Here's the real fear, is that we're going to come back down the mountain and everybody's still going to be worshiping God and we're, we're going to realize we're not as important as we thought we were. That's what terrifies us. The idea, friends, of Sabbath was for Moses. It was this idea of trusting God with God's people. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to trust God. Friends, it's in the life of Jesus. Look at Jesus. How many times in the Gospels does it say that Jesus rested? He was God. He was God in human flesh. Our young life people would say he was God in the bod. He was God in a human body. And he rested. How many times in the Gospels is Jesus sleeping? He's always asleep. 
right? In the, in the boat, right? He's sleeping. The, the, it's funny. He's always awake when the disciples are sleeping, and he's always asleep when the disciples are awake. In the boat, the disciples are terrified about the storm. He's snoring in the back. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's awake praying. They're all sleeping. The point is, my spiritual director says that, that it is never a mark of healthy Christianity to be well-adjusted to a sick society, and Jesus was not well-adjusted to even the rhythms of his own disciples. Jesus lived according to the rhythms of heaven, He lived a different way, and Jesus rested. He rested. Friends, aren't we better than Jesus? The answer is no. We are not better than Jesus. To follow Jesus means to follow him into his rest. It's so powerful to me that Jesus after he dies on the cross, resurrects on Sunday, on Saturday, the day between, what does Jesus do? On that Saturday, he took a day of rest. What did God do when he created the world? He rested on the seventh day. It's like every time God wants to get something awesome done, he takes a day off. Because God's rest is always more impactful than man's work. Jesus rested. If I'm not getting you friends with creation, with the law, with Jesus, I've got horrible news for you. Heaven, literally in Hebrews, is described as, as Sabbath. My point is, if you don't like Sabbath, you're going to be doing it for like, a re, like forever. Because eternity is Sabbath with God. It is everywhere in the Bible. And my gut tells me that your soul and your heart are so hungry for rest, but you feel guilty every time you do it. And you feel like you're wasting time and you feel like the world's gonna go on without you and you feel like you love being busy. And what I wanna say this morning is I wanna say, friends, let us never forget what God asked us never to forget, to remember. Let me tell you what we do on our Sabbath and then I'm gonna be done. And I want you all to go and do what I do because what I do works and it's awesome, okay? So here's what you're gonna do. First of all, you gotta think about what day it's gonna be. And some of you are like, well, does it have to be Saturday? Does it have to be Sunday? And by the way, if we're gonna say it has to be Sunday, as a pastor, I'm in really, that's bad news for me. Because there's never been a day in Christian history where a pastor has gone on on Sunday after church and said uh, to their spouse, boy, that was a refreshing day. Um, because pastoring is really hard work. This is not easy. This is not, I'm not resting up here. This is work. So does it have to be Sunday? I really hope not. Does it have to be Saturday? Does it have to be Monday? Does it have to be Tuesday? And what's awesome is the Bible actually addresses the issue. Paul says, for some people one day is holy, for another people one day is holy, but what you're gonna do is you're gonna do it unto the Lord. And the point is this, the day is not what matters. The fact that matters is that you're finding a day every week. So God bless you. If that was a sneeze, I couldn't tell. (laughs) You gotta begin with the day. What day is it gonna be? For me, it's Saturday. So Saturday, what we do is on on Friday nights, I come home. And this is the first thing I do when I come home on Friday nights. And I want you to do this too. I'm gonna be done in just a few minutes here. The first thing I want you to do when you come home and get ready for the Sabbath, whatever day it is, whatever day you've identified, the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna take these little, how many of you have one of these devices? Thank you, Trevor, by the way, for this. How many of you have an eye something, iPhone, iPad, okay. Lord have mercy on your souls. Okay. The first thing I do, and this, friends, is terrifying. So there's this button. 
And you've, you've seen this button. Many of you have never used it. You're very confused <laughs> that it's been installed. And you've wondered for years, what does that mysterious button do? And so what you do is you, so you, you press it for like three seconds. And it sh shuts off. Some of your minds just were blown out of this universe. And you're going to turn it off. Now, the, it's interesting to me. When you turn it off, the people who invented these little things, they knew what they were doing because they did it so that when you turn it off, it flashes uh, an apple with a bite taken out of it. <laughs> right? Like you're back in the Garden of Eden, right? And that all week long, you've been eating from the wrong tree, the truth of the matter is, friends, I think that we have replaced the voice of God with this. And we wonder why God is so silent. I hear so many young people saying, God is so silent. This is literally my interpretation of how we spend our lives right now. This is it. We just, we just walk around and do this. It's just... Like, literally, we could be walking by the burning bush, but it doesn't matter. Like, everywhere we go, it's... And, I mean, it used to be just the young people. Now the old people are doing They're just a lot slower. So they're like... So, and we just walk around, and we're just like, this thing right here has become our God. And we wonder why God is so silent. I've been practicing the Sabbath for 15 years, and I'm going to tell you a secret. The problem is not the voice of God. The problem is that we spend our life being so distracted we don't have room for the voice of God. And it turns out when you turn your thing off for one day a week, God starts getting really loud. So we turn our, our phones off, and it's terrifying, friends. My finger trembles as I turn this thing off. It's terrifying. And that evening we go to bed, and in the morning we wake up and we do the same thing every Sabbath. And you're going to start doing this too. It's going to change your life and you're going to be thankful and you're going to do it. And you're going to be to Chris. You're going to say, you need to bring AJ back all the time to preach because it turns out what he says works. Here's what you're going to do. On the morning of your Sabbath, you're going to get up. My son, he wakes me up. He always comes up. He's so excited. It's the Sabbath. And he comes upstairs and he comes and get, we lived in Portland. He come upstairs and give me, now he comes into my room and he gets right in my face and he goes, Dad, Papa, Papa, it's the Sabbath. So I wake up and we go into the kitchen. And my wife and I and my son, we make the biggest pancakes you've ever seen. I mean, these things are like this big. We put the bacon, you always bake it. It's in the name. You bake bacon, always. Coffee, eggs, and we make the biggest feast you've ever seen. And my son just pours maple syrup on his pancakes. Ungodly amounts of, pan of syrup. And he just pours it on. And we sit there and we feast. And the reason we do it is this. There's this old tradition that on the morning of the Sabbath, the father was to get up before all the other kids and was to get every kid a spoon of honey so that the children would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. 
We don't do honey, we do maple syrup. And the goal is in 50 years when I'm dead and gone, if anybody even whispers the word Sabbath around my little awesome boy, he's just gonna start to drool because he knows what the Sabbath is. It is pancakes. And we finish breakfast. He gets to watch a movie on the Sabbath. He loves it. While he wakes, while gets to watch a movie, his mom and dad get to take a nap, <laughs> which is awesome. Best nap you've ever had, baby. Because the marriage is also for your, for your marriage. The Sabbath is for your marriage. And we finish our day, friends. We go on walks. We eat good food. We light candles. We read scripture. We pray together. Friends, we're together. I've been doing this for 15 years with my family, maybe a little bit more. And I will tell you, it is the closest thing to the Garden of Eden I've ever experienced. And it's like God made us for it. You see, when Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, what he meant to say was, I'm the Lord of the, the pancakes. And today, I want to remind you of what God asked you to remember. To come away with me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The pancakes are cooking. Come and eat with the Lord your God. Would you stand with me, please? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, as we conclude uh, our reading of Scripture and the reading of the Bible and our conversation about rest, I would ask you, God, today we would ask you, we would plead with you, for our hearts that are anxious, torn asunder, for our minds that are distracted, for our bodies that are weary, that you would speak to this church, this community of followers of Jesus, that you are still the Lord of the Sabbath, and that you are still inviting God's people into rest. Jesus, I love that right now you are sitting you are at the right hand of the Father and you are sitting. I love God when it looks like our world is falling apart. You are at peace. God, would you help us, your people, be at peace? I wanna pray for moms in this room who even right now wonder if this is impossible. And in the name of Jesus, would you hear the Father say, with the kingdom of God, all things are possible. For the business owner in this room uh, who has a lot of responsibilities and a lot of people that they care for, that you would hear the heart of the Sabbath for your employees. For the young millennial and Gen Zer in this room whose mind is incredibly um, ripped apart by a life in front of screens, that you would hear the Lord of the Sabbath say, hey, can I get you for a day a week? Just one day, come be with me. God, for the pastors in this room who work really, really hard and sometimes are guilt-tripped and shamed into working harder, would they be released from the voice of Pharaoh that says, you are a lazy, wicked servant? And they'd hear the voice of Jesus say, you are my kid, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. 
Father, would you fill this church with rest, fill this church with Sabbath? Would we never forget what you asked us to remember? Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus. Would you say amen?